Okay, we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, if you didn't, if you didn't get a handout, um, Dale's got some back there, and I've got a couple up here. Who didn't get a handout? There's enough for everybody to have one. Okay, I want to start off by asking um, kind of a generic question. Raise your hand if, if, it, if it fits you. How many of you have dabbled in or looked at Ancestry.com with the view of looking at your, um, your heritage, your, your, um, your past, if you will? A few, half maybe. Um, and I did that as well a long time ago. I didn't get too far back. Kind of lost it in about the middle 1800s. But anyways, um, when you did that, you were probably looking at who were the key people, what was their journey, what struggles did they endure, maybe even some errors in judgment or... Uh, conversely, what made uh, what decisions, good decisions that were made based on their on their character. The same things apply to our spiritual heritage. And as we look at church history, we are going to go back and see who were the key people, what was their journey, what struggles did they endure? and maybe even some errors in judgment or, uh, conversely, decisions that were made based on their good character. Um, so, so church history is about our heritage and where we came from. And the things, there is a, there's a magazine I subscribe to, it's an automotive magazine, and, and there's a, the editor often, often puts this phrase in there, um, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And it's, it's, it's so true about our spiritual heritage. The things that were struggles down through the last 2,000 years are still struggles today. There's still challenges for the church. There's still um, even attacks. And um, we're going to see a little bit this morning of, uh, in the first century, the struggles and the challenges that the New Testament writers faced um, for attacks on the church and, and the basis of that. So, so all those things that are, are facing the church today largely are battles that have been faced before. And they continue to be battles and were, were overcome uh, to a greater or lesser extent, but they still exist. So I want to pray, and, and then we'll get started, and uh, we'll, we'll begin our, our actual study of uh, a church history. Father, we thank you for um, the opportunity to come here this morning and to uh, look at your word, to see how it... Uh, it has been 
uh, it has affected the church um, and, and was written to prevent some of the inerrant, some of the errancies that have plagued the church over, over these last 2,000 years. Father, uh, um, I pray that you would help us as we, uh, as we look at your word and, and uh, talk about history to recognize what's, what's important for the church, what struggles uh, that they faced, and, um, and how, that, how that fits us today, uh, how we face these same struggles today. Father, I pray that the uh, words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, as we look at church history, um, I want to differentiate between what is the true church and what is just another religious institution. <clears throat> the things that we're going to talk about this morning are what is core to be being a true church. Um, and if it doesn't have these core beliefs, then it becomes just another religious institution. Um, there are three parameters that we're going to look at as our core beliefs, and which are of first importance. Um, some of the things that we study in Sunday school are not what you would call of first importance. If we study end-time events, that's not typically what you would consider of first importance. These three things are at the very core of the church. They make the church the church. And they involve the work of God, or simply the Bible, the Word of God, I'm sorry, or simply the Bible, the work of God, salvation, and the worship of God, who God really is. Those three things are, it's mandatory, if you will, that we have a proper understanding of what the Bible teaches about that. If we don't, we become just another religious institution. Um, I want to look at this morning um, what they mean, why they're important, and how these three pillars were challenged in the New Testament. This is not something new. This is something that even back in the first century when the New Testament was being written, these three things were part of what they faced as uh, attacks to the church. Okay, having said that, that's kind of what we're going to do today. I want to, I want to explain so you understand um, the handout a little bit. Um, on the back side is kind of an overview, that's what it says, overview of church history. It's, uh, it's the author of the book's idea of instead of doing a, a timeline and, and a linear uh, a linear diagram, it's built around a, um, 
a building, if you will. And um, we're not going to focus too much on this, this page, but I wanted you to have it because uh, as, as we go down through church history and uh, Hoyt and Bubba uh, go through the different, different sections of, of church history, this will come... Uh, this will become important. It will give you kind of a guideline where we're at, who's important, um, the things that uh, were being discussed to a certain extent there, and um, just kind of what events happen when. So that's the, that's the overview. On the flip side is what we're going to do today. I left a few blanks there. Um, you guys can fill it in. If you're, if you're writing, I know you're not falling asleep, so we can do that. Uh, I, there is a, I put on that sheet a bunch of scripture. We're not going to begin to have time to look at all of it. Um, we will look at uh, uh, at least three or four key passages uh, towards, towards the end, but I'll be reading, I'll be reading some passages to kind of support uh, where we're at before that, but you can, on your own, uh, look those other passages up if you want, uh, and just to kind of verify uh, where we've where we've been and and uh, support the proposition or the statement there. Okay, um, I think that's enough enough explanation. If if you do have any questions. Just raise your hand and, and we'll, because I want to make it clear. I don't want to leave anybody behind um, as, we, as we go through this, through this paper. Okay, uh, let's see. So, oftentimes in the New Testament, the church is referred to as a building. Um, in... Uh, in Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 24 and 25, Jesus said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a white man who built his house on a rock. And the rains fell, like today, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it, and it fell and great was the fall. So metaphorically and in a number of other places, um, the church is compared to a building. And that's kind of what's on that flip side of your sheet there is, is a building. When you start to build a building, what's the first thing you do? What? Foundation. Foundation. Okay, foundation. There's actually one thing you do just, just prior to the foundation. Foundation is kind of the second thing. What's, what's the first thing? All right, lay it out. And, and when you start to lay it out, if you've ever done this, unless it's a round house, you start with the corners. If you want your, you want your rectangle or your square to be at 90 degrees on the corner. So you lay out the corners. Well, 
so does, so does the church start with the corners. Um, in, in 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 8, Peter wrote, And coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for those who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone with which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were appointed. So Jesus is where we start. The church is founded on the start of the corner, which Jesus is the cornerstone. Then the next thing is the foundation. The foundation is based on the uh, apostles and the prophets. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So, <clears throat> Jesus is the cornerstone. The foundation is the apostles and prophets. And then we have our three propositions, our three core beliefs which make up uh, the church. And that's the Word of God, the Bible, the work of God, salvation, and the worship of God, who God is, and uh, how we worship Him. Okay, this is, when we talk about the Word of God, this is a little bit different than what Bubba talked about. Bubba talked about how we got our Bible. The books of the Bible, what made them up, uh, the, 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 the three uh, tests, if you will, for, for what made up the canon of the Bible. What we're talking about here is slightly different. This is, rather, the authority of the Bible, not not per se of what it's, uh, how it got, it got assembled and made, but rather how it affects our lives, what, what authority it has in, in our lives. Um, so 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, which you, you probably all know, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. <clears throat> what gives the Bible its authority? 
Okay, who said inspiration? <laughs> okay, what does that mean? What? God breathed, okay. What, if you were, if you were talking to an eight-year-old, how would you say God breathed to an eight-year-old? What, what would you, what would you say? Yeah, who said that? That's exactly right. God wrote it. The authority for, for, for the Bible comes from its author. You see the connection, authority, author. Um, the Bible is, has the authority because God wrote it. And um, it carries with it everything we need for faith and practice. It is inerrant. Um, it, God cannot lie. Uh, God does not make mistakes. All of that. Um, and I'm, I'm going to assume that, that that's not new to you. You all recognize that. Um, that's why most of you probably brought your Bibles this morning. It's, it's, it's your authority for how faith and, and life takes place in, in your life. So that's, that's the Word of God. Let's talk about the second pillar or the second support, if you will, uh, for the church. The second proposition that makes the church the church. It's a right view of salvation. When we talk about salvation, um, we're, we're really talking about how God brought salvation about. How, how, how does God bring that about? Okay, through Jesus, um, but what's, what's the parameters of our salvation? How, how, how can I ask this? Um, how does it take place? There you go. Salvation is by grace through faith apart from works. It's very simple, very kind of profound, if you will, but pretty easy to understand, pretty easy to comprehend, and yet it is a struggle. It is a struggle because all down through the ages, works has been a, a central attack, if you will, to the whole nature of uh, salvation. I'm just going to read one of those passages. You know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. I'm going to read uh, Romans 11.6, which um, <clears throat> Paul wrote, But if it is by grace, talking about salvation, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. You understand that? If, if we introduce works into the, into the formula for becoming saved, Grace goes out the window. There is no grace. It's, it's by works. Those two cannot coexist. They are separate. And, and you, can't have, you can't have them both together. So, so it's either by grace or by works. And the Bible is very clear, re repeated over and over again, 
that salvation is by grace. Makes you wonder how we get it so messed up. I mean, how does, how does, how does works get involved in, in salvation with so many other religious institutions? It happens. Um, and then the last, the last pillar, the last core belief of the church is a right view of God. Um, I'm gonna, uh, I want to read just a quick verse, John chapter 4, verse 23. This will be very familiar to you as well. For an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Okay, so what do we mean by worship in spirit and truth? Anybody want to venture a definition? Worship in spirit is purity of devotion. Who are you really worshiping? Are you worshiping God and, and Him alone? Worshiping in truth is the doctrine, who God is. Uh, the triune God, uh, Jesus being 100% God, 100% man, all of that. And that, that's another thing that, that becomes really a, uh, a problem and an attack on the church because um, I think, as I thought about this, I think part of it is we, in our um, finite minds, we have a hard time trying to comprehend how someone could be 100% God and 100% man at the same time. Yes? Um, the definition of worshiping. Uh, worship is, I, I would say, the who you are going to put your trust in, who you are going to look to as uh, uh, your God, um, and uh, you could also probably add to that uh, praise and adoration, who you're going to glorify in your life, who you're going to serve in your life. Um, so all of those things are, are a part of our, our worship. Um, who's going to be your main focus in your life? And, and again, that's a struggle. Sometimes, sometimes we get in, in the way of that. Uh, Brandon talked about that a little bit this morning in, in his message. Our, our worship of God has to be, uh, and we'll look at these two, two parameters here in just a second, but it has to be focused on God, can't, can't be diverted. Now, when we talk about worshiping in spirit, um, we all recognize in, in Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, and, and God saying, you will have no other gods before me. That's, that's 
uh, part of worshiping God with pure devotion. It's, it's not having any other idols, any other forms of, of worship. Uh, we're we're going to elaborate about problems of that in just a few minutes. But worshiping God in spirit is making our triune God the center of our focus and nobody, nothing else, comes before him. Okay, uh, worshiping God in truth. Um, that, that, I said, is, is primarily who God really is. And uh, uh, all you have to do is, is go to the first chapter of John, the first uh, 18 verses, where in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Later on in verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, uh, full of grace and truth. And then uh, in verse 17, um, for the law was given by Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. So the parameters of who Jesus was and, and the parameters of who God is, very important to the church. Um, if we don't get that right, we're just another religious institution. We, we need to know who it is we're worshiping, who is our God. And, and that, that, that becomes at the very center of uh, the church and, and the people in the church, knowing who, who God is, because it, it affects, it affects a, a lot of other things as well. It affects your salvation, and, and we'll talk about that in just, just a minute. Um, is everybody following along on the uh, um, getting the, the words in the uh, blanks filled in? No? Okay. Uh, authority comes from the one who authored it. Okay. Right view of salvation by faith through grace apart from works. Um, number three is a right view of God, purity of devotion, and... Uh, purity of doctrine. Faith. Uh, excuse me, apart, no, uh, salvation by faith through grace apart from works. No, a right view of salvation by faith through grace apart from works. Okay. Um, so, so, so that kind of defines the pillars, our core beliefs. If, if you take any one of the three out, you don't have a church. You don't have true church. You don't have, you don't have the church being Christ's bride. What you have is a religious institution, and, and that's that's commonplace today. Uh, we see that in, in denominations. You see that uh, in, in all kinds of other religious gatherings. Okay, now I want to talk about um, 
kind of uh, why it becomes, uh, how, how it was um, dealt with in, in the New Testament. Um, okay, so... Why is the authority of Scripture important? Um, why, why do you think that is? Why is the authority of Scripture important in your life? Okay. Um, And anybody can have an opinion. Yeah, if 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 the if the authority of Scripture doesn't doesn't have authority, then then it 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 becomes another book, another another author who wrote wrote the uh, a book that was on self help and 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 all of that. Uh, but but because the Bible is authored by God. It becomes our authority for faith, our ultimate authority for faith and practice. And, and it's to that that we go to for the standard of, of what's proper and what is not in the church. Turn in your Bibles, if you've got them, to Mark chapter 7. We're going to go through um, in, our, in our time remaining. And I, I want to show you how, how these key pillars uh, came under attack, if you will, and how, how they were dealt with um, by, by the early church. Actually, even in this case, even before the, the church was, was instituted. This is Jesus talking to the, the uh, Pharisees and the scribes. And uh, just a little little background information here. Um, we're going to be looking at verses specifically 5 through 13. But to set the stage, the Pharisees and the scribes are having a problem with Jesus' disciples. They're going through and they're, they're uh, plucking the grain and they're not washing their hands. This is pre-COVID uh, protocol. So it's not, it's not having to do with protocol. They don't have to wash their hands for 20 seconds and all that stuff. It was a ceremonial washing. It was a, uh, what's, what's been called the tradition of the elders. And um, it was a prescription by the Pharisees and scribes that everybody needed to do this. Um, and, and what I want us to see here is how they elevated this teaching to be equivalent to the Bible. They put authority with it. They said, you must do this. This is, this is our prescription for how this is to be done, and I want us to see how Jesus deals with that. So we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 13. I'll go ahead and read it. <clears throat> and the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? 
but eat their bread with impure hands. And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Negating the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, you nicely set aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And who, he who speaks evil of father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father and mother, anything of mine you might have been helped by is Corban, that is to say, given to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. They had elevated their, their traditions, their, their ritual cleansing to the point of being equal or even above what the Old Testament said. And, and Jesus takes him to task for that because the Bible is the authority, not, not traditions, not what anybody says. It's the Bible. It's, it's, it's the authority because um, God authored it, and he's the one who backs the authority up. Now, you're probably sitting there thinking, ah, this is old hat. We know all this. Let's move on. But do we really know it? I found myself, the last time I was up here, July 4th, I was, I was, I was talking about the authority of government and how God gives and sets up the authority in government. And I thought, ah, I got this covered, you know? I, I got a right view of, of government and all of that. And, and God pointed out to me, if that was the case, how come it wasn't manifesting itself in my life? Because I, I, I just automatically set my cruise control for 67 miles an hour. I couldn't set it for 65. I wanted to fudge the numbers just a little bit knowing that I'm not going to get a ticket, but, but fudging it just, just as much as I can. We, and, and this is our problem with Scripture, we read it, we understand it, but we have a hard time working it out into our lives. And that's what sin is. It's, it's God's prescription for what we need to do, and then we don't do it. So, all that is to say, the Bible has the authority for life and practice, and we need to follow it. That becomes our ultimate authority. Okay, that's... Yes. Oh, Bubba. Sure.
is for it. This is what heaven is about. Worship is very about generations of pain. Really, at the end of the day, who is your authority? So in Orthodox, they have a parallel monolithic scripture. They have traditions which are absolutely In Orthodox, in Catholicism, the Magisterium, Scripture is the voting They have the full authority to interpret. And that's why Luther had his clarion call Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone is our authority. Marius Sabinius, who is presenting the bedrock of the Jewish church, his advocation of distributing Scripture, like all of this is important, is building Scripture to this ability of creation. Creation creation, falling away from creation. Adherence to scripture alone is our apologetical Thank you for that. Um, yeah, so just like just like the Pharisees set up their tradition of elders, so do also um, the uh, the the Orthodox Greek Orthodox Church and and uh, as Bubba pointed out, the Roman Catholicism is through the, the magistrates, the popes, and, and all of that. They set themselves up to be the authority over Scripture, something that, that uh, was going on clear back in Jesus' day. Okay, second pillar, second, found, second, second support, if you will, second uh, main proposition for what makes the church the church and that is why why is salvation by faith through grace important this is kind of um oh i don't know it's kind of a uh, a rhetorical question almost um why is it so important to the church to have uh, a good understanding of why of how our salvation came about. Okay. That's exactly right. And and so you end up with with all kinds of of uh, formulas for salvation in other religious institutions. When you take out Salvation through faith by grace, you no longer have a church. You no longer have a body of believers. They're gone. Because, because to have a body of believers, they have to come to salvation through faith by grace. It's a work of God. It's not a work of man. And so... So it, it's, it's at the very core of the church. You don't have a church without salvation by faith through grace. Um, now, uh, this, while, while it sounds very fundamental, um, it didn't take very long at all. The, the, first, the first book written in the, in the New Testament, Bubba talked about this last week, was Galatians. Turning your Bibles to Galatians 1. 
chapter, uh, excuse me, Galatians 1, 6 and 7. I'm just going to read these two verses here. I want, you to, I want you to notice what's going on, though. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only that there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. I'm going to read the next verse to you. But even though we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Paul is saying, in effect, it doesn't matter who comes to you with a different gospel. It's, it's not accurate. It's not right. And, and uh, Paul uses a pretty strong language there. Let him be damned. Let that person uh, go straight to hell, if you will if he preaches a, a gospel different than the one we preached to you, which was uh, by faith through grace. Okay, um, and Bubba stole a little bit of my thunder, but, but I've got another one. Who? That's all right. Um, it, on, on October 31st, 1517, what happened? What's that? Martin Luther, yes. Martin Luther put, the, put his 95 theses up on, on the Wittenberg door. And I, I, took a, I took a few minutes and, and I, I read those 95 theses a few days ago. I had never done that before. I'd talked about it several times, but I thought, well, I, I, ought, to, I ought to read it if I'm going to talk about it. Well, I did. And, and the, the thing that Bubba said, sola scriptura, is, is kind of his first main point. And the rest of his, a great number, I didn't count them, but a great number of his 95, and these theses are, are propositions that, that Martin Luther put in this paper to, for discussion. Uh, let's, let's get together, let's discuss them, let's go to God's Word, see if they're a part of what God says we should be doing. And they, they attacked, if you will, or they called into question the church's salvation through what they called indulgences, works, if you will. Um, it's, it's hard to imagine that at one point the belief and, that was being proposed was that as a person was in purgatory, a place between heaven, uh, earth and heaven, that you could pay a sum of money and get that person out of purgatory and into heaven. It, that's about as close to uh, works and uh, just, I mean, it just, it kind of baffles my mind that, that somebody could believe that salvation is you reach in your back pocket and you pull out some money and away we go. But, but that's what was being proposed. Yes? 
I, I think it certainly helped that prop that that go along with that. Especially, it, it was at a time when uh, I'm not sure how much of uh, uh, people had. Um, I don't remember exactly when Gutenberg invented the printing press. When was that? Okay, so so the printing press is already out, and and there is there is that going on, but but probably uh, few people had uh, access to scripture themselves. Most of it was was what they had heard through the church, and so it was very easy for them to to be given just what the uh, the Pope and the bishops wanted them to hear. And, and it certainly facilitated that uh, in terms of uh, uh, making a, a uh, salvation by works very credible and believable to them. Say that again. Right. 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 Yes. 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 Right, right. Yeah, the, the, the things that we're talking about this morning here didn't cease to, to become problems. They, they're ongoing. It, it happens all the time. And, and that's, that's the difference between the church and a religious institution. Okay. Um, why is the worship of God important? Why is, it, why is it important that we worship God in spirit and in truth? The first commandment, okay. If you, if you, I didn't put, I didn't put any, any, too much scripture with this because most of the Old Testament, most any book deals with the idolatry of Israel. If you, if, if you have read any of the Old Testament, you, you recognize that. Israel had a, a, serious, a serious problem with who they were worshiping. I want to I take, we got 10 minutes left. I want to take just, and just point out um, one little thing that, that, that might be new to you. Turn in your, turn in your Bibles to two places. Numbers chapter 21 And we'll look at one verse there, kind of set the stage, and then we'll go to another place. Numbers 21, verse 9. This is, uh, set, set the background here. Um, Israel complained against, against Moses and Aaron. God sent a, a plague of snakes, and, um, and Moses interceded for them, uh, and God told Moses 
to make a bronze uh, statue of a serpent so that when the people looked at the bronze serpent, they would not die. Uh, verse 9, And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a standard, that a pole, and it came about that, that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. Now turn over to 2 Kings chapter 18. And I want to look at verse 4. This is Hezekiah, 700 years later. That bronze serpent went into the temple. And they kept it there. Um, but but they, didn't, they didn't just leave it there. In verse 4... Um, talking about some reforms that Hezekiah made in 2 Kings 18. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah. He also broke into pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made, for until those days the sons of Israel burned incense to it and was called Neheshton. They had taken what God had told Moses to make. And it seems like it's just short of an idol, but they were, they were uh, uh, giving reverence and, and veneration to this, uh, to this statue. And Hezekiah recognized that this was not right. And so he took it and he smashed it. Um, it's important that we recognize that we worship God and God alone, that we, we put no idols before him, that we, uh, that we do not uh, allow anything to come into the way of our worship of God. Um, now, now let's... Uh, talk about the, uh, uh, the truth uh, of, of God. Um, I want to look at just, uh, just one passage there. There's several passages you could look at. Last week, Bubba talked about Gnosticism and the fact that, that they believed that anything that, was, uh, that had flesh to it was evil. Okay, so anything, anything human was evil. So turn in your Bibles to 2 John, verse 7. I want to look at verses 7 through 11. So in the, in, in John, John writes towards the end of the first century, and uh, uh, this... This uh, false idea of who Jesus really was was a part of what they were dealing with in, in the church. Um, all through John's letters, he talks about the, the false teachers and stuff. This is just one passage I picked out, which uh, is Second John verse, 11, verse 7 through 11. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. 
This is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves that you might not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. And the one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. John was facing the fact that there were, there were people who were advocating that Jesus had not come in the flesh. Why is that a problem? There you go. There you go. You do not have a Savior if Jesus did not come in the flesh. In flesh. You have no atonement for your sins. It's, it's, it, it's a part of what makes salvation sal- uh, our salvation. Uh, we, we don't have it if Jesus did, was not 100% man and went on the cross and died for us. That's, that's just a central part of, of what makes the church the church. Our time is just about gone. Um, I want to just kind of recap this. So, you, so everybody's on the same page here. Um, and maybe, maybe before I do that, I'll, I'll run through the, the, uh, the blanks here. Why is the authority of Scripture important? When you diminish the authority of Scripture, you elevate man's status to be equal with God. If you're going to call the church a gathering of believers, then it needs to be made up of people who belong to Christ. Um, Why is the worship of God important? Without true understanding of the nature of Christ, there can be no atonement for sin. The humanity of Christ was challenged, and, and today the deity and the humanity of Christ are both being challenged. Um, to recap, three central things that the church needs to recognize uh, as we go forward and we look at. Next week, we'll, we'll, on the back side of your sheet, we'll be looking at that first, that first little strip there in the New Testament. And um, Hoyt's, going to, Hoyt's going to go through that. Three things that make the church the church. The authority of the Word of God, the, a proper view of salvation by faith, through grace, apart from works, and worshiping God in spirit and truth, a, a proper understanding and view of who God really is. That makes sense? Okay, you're not sleeping. Good. All right. I want to finish up with uh, Paul's charge to Timothy. And, and I think it's, it's, uh, it's appropriate that we, we take this to heart as well. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses uh, 13 and 14. Paul charges Timothy, but but I think it's a it's appropriate that we we take this charge as well. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me, 
in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure that has been entrusted to you. Let's close in prayer. Our God and our Father, we thank you. What, what are wonderful truths, core beliefs that we need to hold dear to make the church the church. Father, we thank you for um, the people who have come before us, who, who in many cases sacrificed their lives that for these three for these three core beliefs. And Father, we, we recognize that um, that was a part of our heritage. And as we discover who those people were, um, the, the struggles that they went through, the, uh, the victories that they had, Father, I pray that you would instill in us um, a, a spirit of uh, continuing on, of, of holding fast to the truth, and uh, keeping the church the church and not a, a religious institution. Thank you, Father. Thank, for, thank you for these that have come. Uh, bless Brandon and the service that follows. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.